Hi there, and welcome to the T21 Mom podcast. My name is Mary, and I'll be your host. And this is episode 65. And as always, my good friend and co-host Ron is joining me here today. Hey, Mary, 65. Some people yeah. kind of retire about that about then. But I don't think we're retiring, are we? No, we're just getting started. Yep. yep. No gold <laughs> watch, no pension. No pension. <laughs> We're just going to keep churning them out. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We're doing our best. How you doing? I'm doing all right. Yeah. Doing, doing good. Yeah. Ainsley's well. She's, yeah, settled into school. Things are going great. So good. I'm liking it. Yeah. Good. Um, an ongoing topic of the show has been your um, podiatry issue. <laughs> my, my foot and leg. Your, your broken foot and leg. Yes. What's you have an update? What is that? Well, I have a couple plates in my foot and leg. One will remain in my leg, but I am getting the plate in my foot out in a couple of weeks. So fingers crossed. So that goes all well. I'll be off work for about a week or so, and hopefully we'll be all good. We'll see. Okay, good. I'll update you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) By the way, if you need anything, I'll bring coffee. Awesome. Um, I would love that. <laughs> uh, so today we're talking with the amazing Jolene, who has managed to put the five languages of love into mm-hmm. a book. And who, when I listened to your interview with her, uh, it it amazed me how much, how really quite simple it is. Oh, I mean, you yeah. have to put the effort in, but it's really fairly simple and easy to understand. Yes. And she, it's an adaption of the five love languages with Gary Chapman. I'm sure most people are somewhat familiar with that or have at least heard of it. And then they co-authored this one together, sharing love abundantly in special needs families. So yeah, and I found it really fascinating and educational, I guess, for lack of a better word. You know, you just, it gets you to really be thinking about yourself and who's involved in your life. And especially when you have a child with some different needs, you know, how, you know, cause there's all these added stressors that families with typical children don't have, but, you know, you throw in like for us, like an extra chromosome, you know, it, it does add some different stressors and, you know, she explains how you can work with that and, and what you can do. And yeah, I just think it's a great tool for any, any parent, whether you're single in a relationship, you know, or if you're a care, just a caregiver, like a grandparent, anything, siblings as well. It's it was it was really awesome. Okay, well, let's go talk to Jolene and learn more. Okay, today on the T Twenty One Mum podcast, I am very pleased to have on Jolene Philo, co-author of the book "Sharing Love Abundantly in Special Needs Families: The Five Love Languages for Parents Raising Children with Disabilities." Welcome, Jolene. It's so nice to be here with you, Mary. Thank you. Oh, you're very welcome. I'm excited to talk about your book today as I really feel that we all need this book in our community. <laughs> I, I found it very, uh, very enlightening and, you know, kind of eye-opening in a lot of ways, you know, just and how we can talk with our kids and, you know, our partners as we go through this journey of raising kids with some different needs, additional needs. So it's, it's wonderful. So you're a mother, 
an author, a blogger, teacher, and I'm sure a whole lot more. So, but can you first tell us a little bit about you and your family? Sure. Um, I am married to Hiram and we've been married since 1977. I haven't done the math on that recently, but (laughs) um, we have two children. Our son, Alan, was born with medical special needs when he was, and had a lot of surgeries and procedures when he was young. He's doing fine now. He's a farmer and had, lives with his wife on the farm and they ha- and he has two children and they live about four hours away from us. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have a daughter named Anne and she and her family, her husband and their two kids live actually with us. We live multi-generationally um, and that's by design. They're going to help take care of us when we're old. We're helping raise the kids now. So we get to see those kids every day. Uh, and we're in the process of converting our one family dwelling into basically a two family dwelling. We're now in month 16 of that eight month project. So you can <laughs> see how well it's going, <laughs> but we're getting closer. Um, also, uh, I was raised in a family with a father who had a disability. He had multiple sclerosis and was diagnosed when I was just two. So we grew up as caregivers. So, uh, and I was an educator for 25 years. So Mm -hmm. I have a, and I have a minor in um, what was back in the day called learning disabilities, but basically special ed. So I've worked a lot with children who have additional learning needs also. Wow, fantastic. And that's wonderful that you're able to see your grandchildren every day and and help raise them. So that's wonderful. And I I totally understand what you're saying about the eight month project is now 16 months. So (laughs) I feel for you. (laughs) This will also explain to your audience if they suddenly hear pounding or power tools in the middle of this podcast that's where it's coming from (laughs) okay maybe ron will be able to edit out we'll see (laughs) first off i really enjoyed your book and i was just saying you know i i found it really beneficial and and helpful and i found it really made me more aware of how i interact you know not only with my daughter ainsley who has down syndrome and autism but also my my partner dennis you know and most people they've heard about the five love languages, but why did you feel you, you you know, why did you have the need or feel the need to write one specifically for those families raising children, you know, with disabilities or extra needs? And how did you come to get involved in this project? Well, it wasn't even on my mind at all until about, let's see, three and a half years ago, I had a I had an email from one of the women who is raising some children with special needs, who is a guest blog at my blog, differentdream.com. And she just sent me an email and said, Jolene, when are you going to write the special needs version of the five love languages? And I tell you what, it was like a light bulb lit, you know, above my head. I wrote her back and I said, that's a great idea, but I don't know where to start. I told our family that night about the idea and they were like, Oh yeah, that's great. And so the next day I emailed my agent and she was like, Oh, that's amazing. That's a really good idea. And the cool thing is that, um, she is also the agent for Jocelyn green, who co-wrote the five love languages for military families, uh, that came out a number of years ago. And Jocelyn is actually from Iowa about two hours from where I live. And so we know each other. 
And so my agent was able to have all the connections already made. So she pitched the idea. My people talk to Gary Chapman's people, basically. Mm -hmm. He has a lot more people than me. <laughs> um, but anyway, pitched the idea and he, he emailed back or his representative did and said, he has wanted to write a book about this for a long time because every time he speaks, families come up and say, you know, this is great um, for typical kids and typical families, but it doesn't all apply to families like ours. And he just had, he does not feel like he has the um, expertise to write it on his own. So he'd basically been waiting for someone to come along. So, you know, there was a lot of vetting that went on. And then eventually we signed a contract and worked on the book together. And it was absolutely a delight. Oh, wow. That's a really fantastic story. So it was someone who reached out to you who suggested that you write it. So that's wonderful. And obviously you've written a few other books and we can discuss that at the end too. Some of the, some of the books that you've authored and what you're currently working on. So, oh, that's really interesting. So, well, we're, I'm really glad that that all worked out and I'm sure that was quite an amazing process. Yes, it was. <laughs> you know, as I'm sure, you know, we're all aware and I'm sure Jolene, you're aware when you have a child with some extra or additional needs, there is always so much more stress in just everything, you know, in, and in your book, you talk about the seven threats to the emotional glue of a marriage or relationship when your child has a disability. And I admit I ha hadn't really thought of some of them, um, but realized, you know, that they're there. And I'm just wondering if you can sort of maybe talk a little bit about the, these different seven stressors or threats that, you know, can really impact your relationship. Sure. And I should add that there's an eighth one that um, should have been in the book. And I don't know what made me miss that. And that would be sleep deprivation. Because yeah. So many <laughs> families, um, caregiving families don't get enough sleep. Yeah. But the ones that are in the book are time constraints. There's just not enough time because of the extra demands of caring for a child with a disability for, to spend time with your spouse or your partner. Mm -hmm. Another one is financial strains. There are often a lot of therapies and doctor's appointments and maybe surgeries and just additional equipment that's needed. And so the money goes to that instead of maybe being able to do something enjoyable. Um, there's a lot of guilt and grief. Um, a lot of times parents feel guilty that they're not being good enough parents or that maybe somehow they cause this disability and they feel a lot of grief. Um, either because of that or because of, um, though they love their children dearly, they have to grieve the child they thought they were going to have and the things they thought they would be doing with that child. And then, you know, coming to a point of acceptance for mm. the child they do have and what they can do together. And then also two people in a relationship may not grieve at the same rate or feel grief in the same way or grieve in the same way. So, you know, there can be a lot of resentments or guilt and bitterness that can, can come about with that, that causes a lot of stress, stress. Yeah. So um, I just wanted to point to that. I hear about that a lot. Like mm -hmm. I'm on a lot of different down syndrome forums and 
and often it's the father, like if they have a prenatal diagnosis, has a really hard time coming to mm -hmm. acceptance uh, that their child is going to be born with an extra chromosome, Down syndrome, you know, or even after a birth diagnosis, you know, there's obviously a lot of grief there and, you know, you're overwhelmed because now you have this new baby, but you also have all the other additional challenges that often come when your child is born, when you get the birth diagnosis, because you're just not prepared. And that's exactly it. Like you, your partners grieve at different times. I mean, I, I'm a single mom by choice, so I didn't have that. But for me during that time, because I had a prenatal diagnosis, you know, I had a really wonderful small village of friends and my family who, who supported me and allowed me to have that time to grieve. And, and, you know, I remember a friend saying, don't, worry about 20 years from now just focus on you know kind of right now and you know and that kind of made such sense you know I was you're always thinking about the what ifs and and things like that but you know it helped me to be really centered and for me I always found you know having that good support group is so key in getting through that really hard time you know when you're getting that diagnosis you're exactly right yes <clears throat> Well, the other stressors, the remaining ones are isolation. Mm -hmm. And I think everyone in the world has had a taste of that, of that isolation that we as caregiving parents go through at some point because of the COVID pandemic. Mm -hmm. All of a sudden you had to be home to stay healthy, you know, and to avoid germs. Well, and, and then that led to a lot of other uh, duties that we had at home and figuring out another way to live. Well, that is the world of caregiving parents always. And so um, just that, and that can be very isolating. You can't get out as much, you know, you have to discover different ways to connect. And sometimes it's just easier not to. And uh, another, and that isolation then can build up between spouses too. You kind of each find your corner and you don't really mean to um, leave the other one out, but you do this to get by and they do that. And pretty soon you realize you're not connecting. So mm -hmm. it's that sense of isolation. Uh, there can be a geographic separation uh, during the treatment. You know, mm -hmm. my husband and I were 750 miles apart so that he could work and I could go to the hospital with my son. And for us, it was never long periods of time, but I have friends and acquaintances who've gone months and months who had to go to a special place for cancer or treatments mm -hmm. or or whatever that can be really stressful on a marriage oh, um, I can't even then imagine. there's yeah. I know I, I can't either then there is uh the last one is worry about the future and this can take two forms some parents are worrying if their child is medically fragile about what's going to happen if my child dies young and they fixate on that and that becomes a huge worry and they can't enjoy the time they have together. And they kind of get robbed of that in addition to maybe a terminal diagnosis and an, and an early departure from this world. And then a second one is parents whose children are going to go into adulthood and probably outlive them. And then the worry is who's going to care for my child when I'm no longer here to do it? And how are they going to be financially provided for? So those are the main um, stresses that I think families face. I'm sure other families have some individual ones that they face, but these are pretty universal. Yeah, and it's interesting when you brought up about the isolation, because I actually read that several times, like throughout this pandemic, again, on the different forums, how 
families were saying, now families can understand, other people can understand what my life is like because I, we have to isolate a lot because like you said, have a med medically fragile child, you know, and now we're coming up into the winter. So, you know, a lot of people just kind of hibernate at home. We've all been doing this for 18 months now. And in a way it was kind of a real wake up call for the rest of the world to see this is how many of us live all the time, not just for 18 months, but it's a continuum, you know, and you don't always know when it's going to necessarily end. And, and it right. is, it is hard. Like, and I have found like, and I don't have like a medically fragile child. Ainsley, you know, is quite healthy, you know, even though Down syndrome you tend, often they get, well, I mean, she gets every cold and every stomach bug there is, but you know, for the most part, like she's never had RSV or pneumonia or anything like that. And I know a lot of our kids tend to be more prone to that, but I've often felt just really isolated in, you know, raising a child with, you know, special needs, you know, I was on my own for a long time and it's hard and it's just, you know, because there's like, you got to find your tribe because other people just don't get it. They just don't understand it, you know? And like you said, the sleep deprivation, I feel like I'm still sleep deprived and she's eight, you know, <laughs> I don't know if it ends, but yeah. And, and the geographic separation, like I know one family, cause they live in a different city. They've, you know, I just, they just put it on Facebook that they're driving down now to, to have our, their daughter's checkup, but often they've had to have you know, one, the mom has had to come down and the dad stays up in the other town, you know, and that's really hard. You know, their baby was so young in the first year of life. It was real, I'm sure really challenging and yeah, it, I can, yeah, it's just gotta be so stressful, but, and I don't know if you can talk about it later, but you know, you brought up about the worry about the future. Do you have any, because I worry about the future with Ainsley because, you know, I'm an mm -hmm. older mom and you know, I worry about what's going to happen. I mean, I have a plan in place and stuff, but can you, any tips? Well, I would say, and this varies from state to state. So you have to find out what the laws are and the structures are within your state, but you should find within the state where you live, a special needs attorney who can help you set up a special needs trust. And um, that allows you to um, set things up, you know, set finances aside if you can for your child and to make sure that if they're getting social security, um, that the money goes into the trust instead of to the child when they become an adult. Because if that happens, the, the government will take away um, that money and use that to pay for your child's care when what you were hoping was that would be in addition to the, right. the social security. So you need to make sure to get any funds into that trust. And then you can appoint trustees who are involved in your child's life. It could be a sibling. It could be good friends. It could be whoever you want to bring into their world, who you think is going to keep track of them and, and be part of their lives and commit to that. Um, and then um, you can also write letters in there, you know, about what your child likes and, and what you're hoping for that child. And you can include all that in the trust, but you need to get a good special needs attorney within your state. Another thing, and I don't know that much about this, I haven't researched it much, but I know there are now the federal government 
passed the um, act that called the ABLE account mm -hmm. where you that. can save money mm -hmm. for your child. And I think if you just look up ABLE accounts, capital A-B-L-E, all capital letters, um, you'll find out more information about that. And again, that would be something to go over with a special needs attorney. But I would encourage parents to be thinking now, who do I want to be involved in my child's life? Who, who you know, it could be... Um, it could be a teacher they've really bonded with. It could be if they're able to do any kind of, you know, if they do any um, work outside the home or have a work coach that mm -hmm. they've really connected with, it could be them. It could be aunts, uncles, cousins, siblings, a neighbor, you know, just, and, and so to make that happen, you have to get rid of that isolation and you have to start letting people into your home mm -hmm. and getting to know your child. So yes. that they have a rich circle of friends one day when you, you are no longer there. Excellent tips. Thank you. Yeah. And I mean, we're in Canada, so it is a little bit different, you know, where we can, you know, the, the government does provide some funding. If you provide, if you put in a certain amount of money, the government will match or even up to triple it, you know, which is fantastic. And, and I feel like that's a whole other episode that we could do to talk about, you know, the future planning of our kids because I do think it's you know it's worrisome for all parents when they have children that have some additional needs and and I've I, I, that was my biggest fear I know we're a little bit off topic but that was my biggest fear when Ainsley was young because I was on my own is like what what if something happens to me so I did get something put in place for her and a will and everything so that hopefully we live a long life. <laughs> I don't have to worry about that right now, but yeah. So ex thank you. That was, ex that's excellent advice. So can you talk me to me a little bit about like, what exactly are the five love languages? I know, I'm sure a lot of people recognize, you know, that title and how can they strengthen a relationship? Sure. Um, Dr. Gary Chapman came up with this concept in the nineties and he identified five love languages. And they are words of affirmation, and that can be written or spoken affirmation, encouragement, compliments, thank yous, that kind of thing. Quality time is the next one. And that means um, that you spend time with someone, not sitting next to each other on the couch scrolling through your phones, yeah. but either face-to-face -face having conversation, engaging in activities like games or or it can also be doing things together, you know, for somebody who, who is a quality time person, it's the being together that's going to matter to that person. Um, then there's gifts, and this is both giving and receiving gifts. And this does not mean that it's always a monetary gift or high value. It's just that you're giving something to someone that they appreciate. So it could be the gift of your time. It could be a found gift because if you know they like to collect feathers and you find a feather on your walk in the morning, you could take that to them. Or I know one, uh, one boy who loved to gather cardboard boxes and tubing because um, he liked to make stuff. And so his, when his, the people at his wife's work, his mother's workplace found out he loved that, they started bringing things. And she would take it home to him. And he felt loved by everybody she worked with. Oh, so awesome. it can be very simple things. Yeah, it can be cards. Uh, it can be whatever the gift might be. The thing is that you, 
they like to have some kind of a tangible expression of love. And it can also be, those are the people that are going to remember who gave them the gift and where it came from and maybe what it was wrapped in, because all of that is important to that person. Acts of service are um, just what it sounds like, where someone does something for you, and it can be a big or a small thing. The key there is that you are doing what that person perceives as an act of service, not what you think they need. So you need to, again, know the person and do what you know is going to matter to them. And then physical touch is the last one. And this is not in any way sexual when we're talking about it here. This is just the people. And we always think of little kids, you know, physical touch is important to all little kids. They want to be cuddled and they want to, you know, have their hair ruffled and the pat on the back and hold your hand. And it's the same kind of thing if you're the physical touch person where you like my husband is that. So when he gets home, he always wants a hug and a kiss. You know, that's important to him where for me, I could care less. It doesn't matter <laughs> to me at all. So I have to think about that really hard with him because it is important to him. Mm-hmm. And it's like sitting close together, maybe on the couch or, um, you know, just doing something and, and it can move on beyond that. It can be things like they're the people who are going to like tactile gifts, like a, a weighted blanket or um, nubby slippers, or if it's a child, uh, a plush toy, anything mm-hmm. that has that um, physical sensation connected to it. Wonderful. You know, I find we not only need to use the five love languages like for our partner, but also our kids. And I really loved all the examples that you gave in the book. You know, I discovered that Ainsley's love languages are words of affirmation and, and physical touch. And I, I loved the example in your book about the victory wall. And so I've started one for Ainsley because, you know, she can read, you know, she's not a fluent reader, but she can certainly uh, read lots and lots of words. And so I want her to be able to see, you know, that she's done a great job or she did this well. And and I think that's really important for her. And I think it'll be a really great motivator for her. And then when I was reading the book and I was thinking more about it, I also realized I think she's like a physical touch is very important to her. She does really well with she loves when I massage her head, when I shampoo her hair, you know, because she would keep asking me to do more and more <laughs> and deep kind of squeezes and hot lots of hugs and things like that I just because like there was like you talked about the five different love languages and and you know sometimes for when you're dealing with kids with special needs it can be hard sometimes to figure out like what exactly is their love language like you talked about the acts of service which I know that that for me is a very strong love language for me but as a special needs parent, you're always doing things for your kids because they often need that help. So how would we know if this is one of their love languages? Because they often need that assistant assistance. And, and then how, secondly, how would, how do we do it? Like as it separates from caregiving, I guess, do we separate it like on the daily for our child or do we specifically do acts of services intermittently? Like, I'm not sure. Well, I think you, um, observation is key there and that's true for all of the love languages, but 
I think when you're talking about a child who needs acts of service and, and you've determined that that's their primary love language, and we'll talk about that, I think, in a little bit here, how to determine that. Um, but you would just try and think of, okay, what are the things that I have to do for them every day? And But you could start telling them if they can understand that a little bit, you know, I'm doing this because I love you. And I know it means a lot for you when I to have things done for you. You appreciate that. You always are telling me thank you. So I'm doing this because I love you. And I want you to know that. But then I think you can go beyond that. You have to get a little creative. What are some things you could do for your child that are out of the ordinary? So maybe it's a child with a, who has acts of service, but and they usually are able to make their bed themselves. They become independent on that. But you see that they're having a really bad morning some morning. And so you kind of just, you say, okay, let's go make your bed together. Let's do it together. So you're, you're, they're getting an act of service. Or you could have them engage with you in acts of service for other people. Because if it's their receiving love language, it's also their giving one. So, okay, you know what? You know, you could make some cookies together. And so you're teaching them how to make the cookies, but then you say, you know, our neighbor doesn't, you know, she, her husband's gone this week or, um, you know, it's an elderly person and I don't think she can make cookies for herself. So let's walk over and give her some cookies. And you could think of other ways to do acts of service. And not only are you sharing the child's love language, you're helping them develop empathy for others and possibly even teaching them a skill at the same time. And, you know, as caregivers, the more we can cram into one interaction, <laughs> the better. Yeah. Oh, no, I, th I love that. that. Those are excellent examples. I hadn't thought about that. Like, you know, always telling your child, I'm doing this because I love you. But then if they're struggling with something that they're somewhat independent, but say, but let's do it together. And I, I, yeah, I think that is excellent advice. And I know we were talking about obviously the different love languages, like how does somebody know what is their love language? And, you know, at the beginning of the book, you have the different questionnaires about how to find your own love language, but also there's one for the single parent because I was single parent. So I, I read that as well. And, you know, siblings and teens, which I thought was really fantastic, especially if you have other children in your family, there's often a lot of focus on the child that has the extra needs and you don't want to feel like you, I know I read it about it a lot that parents are worried about their other children feeling left out or they don't have as much attention. And I mean, maybe you could speak a little bit about that, like maybe with about the different love languages for siblings and teens and yeah, yeah. Now, do you want me to talk about determining love languages here or about just showing them to the siblings? Just to make sure I understand the, qu well, the question. We could talk a little bit about determining. Like, as I said, I okay. was, you know, when I did the questionnaire, I was very strongly acts of service. You know, mm -hmm. I, I think it says the highest you can get is a score of 12. And I scored 11. Uh -huh. <laughs> and actually, D Dennis also scored very high in acts of service as well. I think yeah, I think he was an 11 as well. And then he had a couple other stronger ones, you know, and I think my second one was physical touch. Do most people have like a dominant 
love language that's going to be stronger, like they're going to score higher in that or often are people as a rule, as a rule, people have like one that is called their primary love language. It's where they score the highest. And then many people will have a secondary one that comes in, you know, just slightly below that. Mm -hmm. And then the others tend to, you know, kind of just wash out. So like my top one is acts of service also then pretty close behind it is words of affirmation. And then, you know, somewhere down a little ways is quality time. And then physical touch and gifts just are like, I, we're maybe a one or a zero for me, both <laughs> of those. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So most people do have that. And, and again, you mentioned the quizzes that are in the book. Uh, and if someone is able to read and fill one of those out, independently, whether it's your typical children or a child with a disability, you can use that. Um, that those usually work pretty well for kids 12 and over. Okay. Um, and then the important thing to remember is that if you're dealing with a child who has a disability, um, uh, especially a developmental disability, you need to consider their, their uh, developmental age over their chronological age. So even if you have an adult child who's 32, if their developmental age is age eight, you're going to want to use the method that works with eight-year-olds. And you're going to have to do it in a way that honors the fact that they're a 32-year-old, but you still want to be able to tap into them at their developmental level. So basically what that looks like is this. If you have a child who's between the ages of, oh, eight and 11, there is in the book uh, called the, there's something called the love languages mystery game. And you just do that with the child. And it's basically a, would you rather have this or this? Would you rather do this or this? And then you get that scored at the end and you figure out what their love language is. If they're between the ages of five and eight, probably observation, or again, if they're the developmental age of five through eight, observation is going to be your best method. So for a week, you're going to try different words of affirmation strategies with them and keep a little notebook about how they respond. Um, does it mean a lot to them? Do they want more? Do they seem to light up? Or is it, yeah, you know, nothing much. Then the next week, do another one and another until you've gone through five weeks. And by the end of that five weeks, there's probably going to be one where you see that that child really, really responded and you've probably found their primary love language. And then if there's another one that was pretty high, that might be their secondary. Now, if the children are between the ages of birth and four, developmentally or chronologically, use all the love languages because children, very young children need them all they, to thrive. They need physical touch, they need words of affirmation. You know, think of you're always telling your baby, oh, you're so cute. Look at how smart you are. Oh my goodness, look at how you did that. We're constantly doing that. They need our time. They will not thrive without time committed to them. They need our acts of service, definitely. And those four are the gifts we're giving our children when they're young to help them develop. So if your baby is, if your child is between zero and five, just use them all and don't worry about it. If you have a 40 year old, whose developmental age is between zero and four, five, use all the languages and don't worry, just shower them with the love they need to thrive at their level. Um, so that, and then if you're still a little unsure about what your child's love language is, ask these three questions. What 
calms my child. So which kinds of activities calm my child? What motivates my child? If I say we're going to do this or if I do this, they're motivated to be engaged and involved. And where does my child choose to spend time? And if they prefer, you know, if they're like my daughter is physical touch. And I remember when she was five, she would spend, we went on this, we were in Alaska and we went on this ferry tour of a glacier and we couldn't find my daughter out on the deck. And we went and she was back in the little area where at the beginning they had shown us some glacial sand and some ice and let everybody come up and touch it. Well, she was still in there touching it. Very <laughs> tactile and physical touch. So, you know, we knew just by observation, we knew that was her love language and that's where she would choose to spend her time. So you're looking for those kinds of things. And when you have the answer to those three questions, you probably are going to know your child's love language. Oh, that's wonderful. That, yeah, I was trying to figure out how can people real like you said, observation, obviously, but you know, a lot of our kids aren't verbal and they, right. they may understand a lot, but they can't necessarily communicate that. So yeah, I think that was excellent advice. And, you know, and I strongly urge people to, to try it and, and just to see, because I think it just gives you a different avenue to think, uh, like to go down, to think about, and because we all want our children to be the best version of themselves and mm -hmm. how can we help them with that? And, you know, also we want our children to know, like we all want to feel loved, but some of us are going to feel loved in different ways. If I'm saying that correctly, like, like you said, like with the five different love languages, like, you know, and I think it's good to know what, what is your family's love language? For me, gifts wasn't a big deal, you know, and, and Dennis gifts weren't a big deal either, but for him, it was words of affirmation was also one that scored up high. And, you know, and I've talked about on a previous podcast that, um, you know, several months ago, I had, I, I broke my leg and foot in several places. It was, it was really a really challenging time. And, you know, I thought, I don't know, if, like, are we going to get through this? It was hard, but we, we did. And I think a lot of it was because, you know, we were speaking each other's love languages without really even knowing that, like with the acts of service, you know, Dennis, without question, just, you know, he stepped up big and he helped out a lot with Ainsley because I just couldn't do it. And, you know, he, mm -hmm. and, and of course he did it because he loves her, but he, because I couldn't do it, but also because he wanted to, and he knew that that was going to help me and it was going to help alleviate, you know, my stress because dealing with, I can't move, you know, and a million other things. So, yeah. So I, I thought about that later and I thought, cause if we get through this, we can get through anything. And I, and I think it's because we were able to speak not, I didn't even know about it, I, but we, we were speaking each other's love languages and I was trying to do things for him that I could, like I was still able to make cookies and he really liked cookies. So I was still able to do that, you know, during that time. So, yeah. So, it, and it was awesome when I was reading it, I'm going, okay, yeah, we're, we're doing this. That's, that's good. <laughs> yeah, that's a happy accident that you both have the same primary love language too. That, that made it much easier for you. Yeah. Is that very yeah. common? Is that very common, do you think? Or do you know? You know, I have seen some families where like almost everybody has the same love language, um, kids and adults. And I've seen others where everybody's are different. Mm -hmm. So it's just, yeah, I, I don't think it's 
one is more common than the other. The other yeah. Okay. I think most of the times though, if probably in couples where they both have the same love language, they might have a higher success rate, you know, at sticking together and, and being able to partner well because they do speak that same love language without even knowing it. Whereas when you've got two people who don't and they don't know the other person's love language and they don't even realize the concept, so they can't start trying to speak what means something to the other person, then I think, you know, it's always, it's a failure of communication and that always leads to issues, sometimes big issues. Yeah. Yeah. I could, I could see that, especially when you're dealing with a child with extra needs, you know, you hear different stories about divorce rates being higher in, in families with children with special needs, but I think a lot of it could come down to like, is how are, how are the parents communicating? How are they sharing their love languages, not just with each other, but also their children. And, and I think, cause it could really help people, especially if they're in a rough spot, you know, for whatever reason, like maybe their child's been in the hospital of an extended stay. But again, that could be like the geographic separation. There's so many things involved, but I think if you can sort of tap into these different love languages, you can figure out how to make it work. And, and like I said, with, between with Dennis and I, I think that's ultimately how we got through that. It was a really rough time. A couple of months were with my broken leg. And I, I think that's how we were able to do it. It's because like you mm -hmm. said, we, we were speaking the same love language. So uh, I just, I thought that was really interesting when, when I read that, I thought, oh, okay, we're, we're doing okay. <laughs> <laughs> what, what do you want parents to get out of your book? I mean, obviously we've talked about what the different love languages are and how it can help you. But sometimes as a parent to a child with disability, you can be like so far down the hole, like, and again, I guess that's isolation and it's hard to get out. So how, how does one start if they're in that kind of not a great mm -hmm. place? Yeah. Well, uh, and the reason writing this book was so appealing to me or co-writing it was that the love languages are pretty simple concept mm -hmm. and it's not, it's not expensive. You know, you don't have to have great financial means to, to practice the love languages. You just have to figure out yours, figure out those are the people you love and learn how to use them. And so that's why this book has so many stories about families who are caregiving families who figured out how to use the love languages and 90% of the suggestions at the end of the chapters about how to use the love languages with your child who has special needs or with your spouse, those came from parents. I interviewed 40 families who were using the love languages. And these are things that work for them as caregiving families. And so they're practical. They're for the most part, pretty easy. They're the kind, they aren't something to add to your day. It's like taking what you already do and tweaking it. So if you, if your spouse um, likes receiving gifts, when you go grocery shopping or put in your grocery order, just get like their favorite tea or their favorite candy bar and then give it to them that night. Or, you know, you're already cooking the meal. So um, if somebody really likes quality time, serve the meal on nice dishes for a change. You know, that, that's really not anything extra. If you already have some nicer dishes, it's just switching things up. So 
the whole purpose of the book is to provide a simple, effective tool for families and family members to feel more loved and feel like their love is being communicated to them and they're communicating love to others. Because when, when we feel loved, we feel less stressed. And mm -hmm. when we feel less stressed, we can show more love and it becomes a positive cycle instead of a negative one. So where to start? Um, of course, as the author of the book, I think where you start is either purchasing this book if you're a caregiving parent or, and it's available in paperback and it's available in audiobook. So if it's easier for you to listen to an audiobook, just do that. And I wouldn't try to sit down in one sitting and read the whole thing. I'd read one chapter, maybe see if you can get your significant other to read the same chapter and, you know, think about, hmm, how would we do this? How would we start doing this part of it, whatever it is in that chapter, and just go through chapter by chapter, you know, and figure out people's love languages, and then just start small, choose one little thing that you could do to speak your, your uh, loved one's love language, and see what happens. And then I think it's important if you've got kids, to the extent that they're able, if they're able, typical or um, with a disability, teach them how to speak teach them to know what their love language is and then to learn to speak other people's love languages too. So that, you know, you can all be, and just by getting out of yourself a little bit and somebody else getting out of themselves a little bit, again, it's going to create a, a more positive attitude and then you can start building on that. That's fantastic. And I, as we were talking before we started, you know, it's a small enough book like I said, I don't right. have a lot of time to read anymore. And, you know, and I really enjoyed reading, but I'm just too tired by the end of the day. But it was a small enough book that I could easily read it. It didn't take much time at all. And I, and like I said, I really enjoyed the different examples that you put in the book, you know, because I think most of us can relate to most or all of them in some shape or form. Mm -hmm. And, you know, lots of ideas. And yeah, I think that is great. Like just... Yeah, to try to maybe even do it with your partner. I mean, Dennis isn't a big reader, so even trying to get him to do the questions was a bit of a challenge, but mm -hmm. we did it. We actually did that together. So it, that he goes, this is much easier, is <laughs> what he said. You know, so yeah, and I, yeah, I like I said, I really enjoyed the book. I found it really beneficial and it just kind of made me a lot more aware of mm -hmm. how we're communicating as a family. And, you know, Ainsley can't, really tell me that she's happy or sad. I, I can usually tell, but she can't really tell me what her mood necessarily is or how she's feeling. So it's important for me and that, you know, that she knows that she's loved and that we're doing these things for her, that things that she enjoys, like, like, you know, like you use the making cookies example, like she loves to make cookies with me. And I mean, she likes to eat the chocolate chips mostly, but <laughs> of course, <laughs> I do too. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, it's something that we can do together. And, you know, I don't know if that's necessarily one of her love languages is quality time, but we enjoy doing those kind of simple things together and, you know, and just trying to find different things. Like you said, it doesn't have to be expensive. It doesn't have to cost a lot of money if, if, if someone's is gifts, you know, it, like, yeah. So I thought it was just so practical and 
you know, and I think really worthwhile for, you know, us families who are, you know, dealing with a lot of different stressors in our life and, and how we can, you know, try to make things maybe a little bit easier, like, you know, with our partner and with Mm -hmm. our, with our family. And so how can people find you, Jolene? And what are you working on now? You've obviously, you've written a few books, haven't you? Yes, I have. Um, the best place to reach me, I'll answer that one quick first, is at my website, which is just differentdream.com. So okay. if you go there, there's a contact link. If you want to email me, that's the best place to do that. And I promise I will answer your email. Maybe <laughs> not right away, but I will get it answered. Um, and I have written several books. A few of them, due to the pandemic, went out of print. It wasn't, the pandemic wasn't kind to authors, yeah. especially authors in a niche field where you need to go and meet the people in person, mm-hmm. you know, and, and share with them. But um, I do have one on post-traumatic stress disorder in children called Does My Child Have PTSD? Okay. And there's one um, called um, Every Child Welcome. And it's a handbook for churches or other organizations that want to make sure all children are included in their programming. Mm-hmm. And then there's the Love Languages book. I am right now making kind of a switch from nonfiction to fiction because there's a whole new generation of caregiving parents who are also becoming authors and speakers who I think are speaking to the younger generations of parents more effectively than I can at this point. And plus, I just turned 65. And so my husband retired. And so we're, I'm trying to just kind of, you know, relax a little bit, though, I enjoy <laughs> writing so much, I can't see not writing. So I'm switching to fiction. And I'm actually going to have my first fiction book published next summer. It's a mystery. And okay. it comes out in the spring of uh, in actually June of 2022. And it's called the West River Mystery Series. And it takes place place out in a very remote area of South Dakota. It's actually very similar to where my husband and I lived for seven years after we got married. I was a country school teacher there and he worked at a boys ranch. And so um, it's the first book is called See Jane Run. It is for adults, um, but the, she's a, the protagonist is a country school teacher whose name is Jane. And she discovers, she gets sucked into a a mystery. And actually, it's based on something that happened the first year we lived there, a rancher, a bachelor rancher disappeared. And to this day in 1977, and his body has not been found, and he has never been found. And so it's kind of a telling, yes, of what could have happened there. So that's the first book in the series. And I will be putting some information up about that at my differentdream.com website. You can also follow along at my fiction website, which is just jolenephilo.com. So that's J-O-L-E-N-E, like the Dolly Parton song, and <laughs> philo is P-H-I-L-O.com. So but those are where to find me and see what I'm up to. Oh, fantastic. Well, we'll certainly put the links in our show notes, so no worries there. And are, are you on any other social media or anything? Yes, I am on um Facebook, you can find me there at uh, Joanne Philo. I also have an author page called A Different Dream for My Child. And then my um, fiction page is a group called uh, Down the Gravel Road. And that's RD, 
at for road instead road, of okay. road and yeah. you can find me on instagram there too and as jolene philo on twitter so okay oh you're you're everywhere okay i'm just kind of <laughs> everywhere yeah <laughs> trying to get there anyway oh no that's fantastic <laughs> that's great so yeah like i said we'll put all that in the show notes so if people want to contact you and obviously you can get like i got the book on amazon and i know a lot of people don't have time to read so yeah just, just like go to amazon yeah, or get the Audible yeah, version. Yeah, you go to Amazon and just type in my name, and, you know, up. all my books will come up. Yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. Oh, so wonderful. Well, I look forward to your book coming out in June. Like, I know I I, I, I was an avid reader, but I definitely would love to read that because it sounds very thrilling. So I, I'm very interested in that. So, <laughs> that And it does fun. have that series as it goes on. Uh, has a number of people with disabilities who are integral to the community and integral to the plots of the different stories. So, oh, fantastic. You know, I haven't left disability behind. <laughs> it's still there. Well, and it's nice to see uh, people with disabilities in all sorts of me media, right? Like in books, mm -hmm. you know, on TV, in movies. It's fantastic. And, you know, I think I commend you for doing that. That's wonderful. Well, thank you. It's pretty easy because it's always been part of my life. So I can't figure out why people with disabilities aren't represented elsewhere. Exactly. I, I totally agree with you. Julie, thank you so much for coming on today and, and sharing your book. I Like I said, I think it's just really an important read for anyone who's raising a child with some extra needs. And like, again, like I said, it's not a big book. You can get through it pretty quick. And, you know, I just found it so informative and I truly got a lot out of it. And I look forward to using the different love languages, you know, with both Ainsley and Dennis and, you know, in, in improving our relationships. Cause I, like, I was surprised to see that we were the same, same love language, but it also made so much sense that it was just, that we have the same strong primary love language. Oh, I'm so glad you found it helpful. That's why I wrote the book. And it's good to hear that it is helping people. Yes, it did. Thank you. It was great. So Mary, I have to admit that I was not in any way surprised that your language came out as one of service. <laughs> yeah. Not even close to being surprised. <laughs> and my uh love language of access service it's very strong like i think i scored 11 and the maximum you can get for any language is 12. and See, there you go overachieving again <laughs> and dennis his love language is also acts of service his, his dominant one i think he was pretty close to i think he might have been 10 points i can't quite remember but yeah and i think you know honestly is that's probably why about, you guys get along so well like, yeah like you literally speak the same quiet language yeah, and I do think, you know, as we talked about, it's truly what got us through that hard time when I broke my my foot, because that was a really, really, really challenging time. And and I remember telling him, I said, if we can get through this, we can get through anything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that and home renovations. Yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, well, thank you to Jolene for coming on because I learned a great deal. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, and I really right. hope our listeners, you know, can get a copy of the book, you know, we'll put a link in the notes and stuff, because I think it's so beneficial because, you know, if you can realize what your partner, what their language is, you know, how you can maybe communicate a little bit better 
how especially with the kids because like she mentioned you know the the cruise Mm -hmm. with you know that that where her daughter uh was there dealing with a tactile thing instead of looking at the glaciers i think is is what i remember Mm -hmm. and being able to put a definition on what's going on Mm -hmm. must be a tremendous help to parents who instead of asking some form of obedience to actually looking at and thinking and seeing what the child is actually doing mm-hmm. and that goes for whether you're a typical child or, or or you know a differently abled child so i i i found that fascinating yeah and you can certainly use it on your typical kids and as well as your child that has some other needs you know it's helped me a lot with ainsley just to be more cognizant of kind of what feeds her, you know, what, and then also helps to motivate her, I guess, but, you know, but what kind of feeds her heart, what feeds her soul. So, yeah, I found it really, a really great book. And it's a really short read because, and I remember, I think she said off air, she goes, oh yeah, I always write short books for parents with kids with uh, special needs because I know they don't have much time. (laughs) I said, yeah, that's exactly right. Okay, so we only have, because we have now hit that magic 65, not quite retired Mm -hmm. milestone. Where are we going next week or next time? You know, I think. Or is it going to be a mystery tour? Oh, why don't we leave it as a mystery tour? Okay. We have two (laughs) episodes left. Yeah. One of which is a mystery tour, and the second one we're kind of working on. Yeah. So. So, okay. So, why don't you take us out of this? Thanks for listening to the T21 Mum podcast. And as always, I would love to hear from you. Tell me your stories, what's going on in your life, what's important to you. You can find me at uh, info at t21mum.com or on Facebook. I'm also on Instagram and Twitter at trisomy21mama. Keep on loving on your rocking kiddos and we will see you next time. See you, Mary. Bye, Ron. Bye.